Thank you very much, Holly. You think of El Shaddai, Christ also coming and living. We want to reflect on him this morning as we consider a portion of Scripture from Mark chapter 8. And as we begin, I'm going to share a couple of situations with you I would like for you to think about. Not looking for verbal respond, but at least think about how you might respond. A fellow student whom you don't know very well comes to you with a request of some time to talk to you. And here's what is shared with you. She is very frustrated. Dad and mom fight much. And they're considering a divorce. She has been told several times that she is overweight, even though she is merely maybe 10 pounds beyond the norm. So she's on a crash diet. Her boyfriend is pushing her to have sex with him. She doesn't want to, but feels she will lose him if she doesn't yield to his pressure. She is struggling in several classes due to some other pressures. She just can't seem to concentrate. She says she is considering ending her life. If you had an opportunity to respond, how would you respond? Another situation, a neighbor expresses the following. His wife is in a car accident. She is not hurt badly, but the car is totaled. The furnace breaks one day later. Teenage son decides to leave home several days after the furnace quit. How would you respond? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 8, reading together verses 1 through 13. Mark 8, 1 through 13. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry, they will collapse on the way because they have come, or some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went into the region of Damutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. No sign will be given to it. Then he left them get back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. So we think about this passage. Remember that the 12 continue to be with Jesus. Mark continues to communicate and convey the identity, the being, the character of Jesus 
through the miraculous signs that he gives, through the healing that takes place, and so on. And please keep in mind that Christ involves the disciples in what is happening here. And this is not the first time Jesus had fed people. In Mark chapter 6, we find that he fed 5,000, and here he is feeding 4,000. Just want to contrast the two, the 5,000 first and then the 4,000. 5,000 had five loaves, two fish. Here we have seven loaves and a few small fish. The 5,000 we had, or the word for fish is different, you know, in both cases. It's not the same word for fish. And the 5,000 number fed, I think there's a misprint here. When you had the 5,000, you had 5,000 fed, not 4,000. And the number fed with the 4,000 was 4,000. Those are reversed. 5,000 men, 4,000 men. Again, a contrast. When the 5,000 were fed, they were with Jesus one day. They were with Jesus three days when the 4,000 were fed. When the 5,000 were fed, people were seated in groups of 150. People are seated on the ground when the 4,000 are said. 12 baskets left in the 5,000, seven baskets left with the 4,000. There was a revolutionary uprising take place, taking place when the 5,000 were fed. No revolutionary uprising with the 4,000. Exclusively Jews with the 5,000, predominantly a Gentile area with the 4,000. We find that the disciples expressed skepticism with the 5,000, they confessed their powerlessness with the 4,000. Now, as we think about this passage, we find that a large crowd has come to Christ. It is in a Gentile region, and according to verse 31 of this chapter, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went into Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. And that's where a deaf mute man was healed. But it seems to be in the same area that the large crowd came and gathered. And the text clearly communicates they came to him. They were there by choice. Obviously, they wanted to experience Jesus, probably his teaching, probably his miracles that were taking place. And it's interesting that they have been with him three days. They're with Jesus three days. And the text clearly says, since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him. He's bringing the disciples into the picture. And what does he say to them? I have compassion on these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because of them, because some of them have come a long way or a long distance. And the disciples must get the idea that Jesus is planning to do something because they respond in verse 4, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? 
Jesus recognized human need. And the text says he has compassion. I have compassion for these people. The Greek word for compassion comes from or means involves the vital organs. The vital organs in the Old Testament were eaten by priests and sacrifices in connection with an animal being sacrificed. The word takes on the metaphorical meaning of being moved deeply within, you know, the core of the being. Jesus has compassion. And I would pose a question. Are compassion and sympathy the same? Are compassion and sympathy the same? I see a couple heads slowly going, no. Compassion seems to involve action. You can have sympathy, but not necessarily act. But Jesus had compassion. His compassion is going to result in some action, and he's going to feed them, and we'll come to that in just a few moments. But my question would be, why have they been with Jesus for three days? What were they doing? If you look at the overflow of Mark, or the overview of Mark, it seems like that they were hungry people spiritually. Large crowd gathered. Again, in light of the flow of Mark, apparently he taught them, and apparently they would have also had some people who would have been healed. And as he taught them, if you go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, you'll find there that he is proclaiming the good news of God, which is himself. The kingdom of God is near, repent, and believe the good news. So as he is proclaiming, he was giving spiritually hungry people what they needed. Did he give them this? Programs to help. Books. A DVD. Music they liked. Concerts. Fun. Entertainment. I don't think he gave any of them. Rather, he gave himself. who is the bread, the living water, life, the door, the truth, in light of John's gospel. Apparently, he is teaching them, and the one who is teaching has compassion. But I want you to stop for just a minute and think about spiritually hungry people. What do we offer them? Do we offer them some program? Do we say, here's a DVD? Do we offer them a book? Do we say, come and we'll give you the music that you like to hear? Do we offer them a concert? Do we offer them a fun time? Or do we offer them Jesus? Jesus was the one who said, come unto me, are you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Apparently these people came to Jesus because of him. Apparently he has healed or taught for some three days. And then he realizes he needs to feed them. The disciples response, but where in this remote place can anyone get bread to feed them? Jesus brings them into the action in verse 5. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And then Jesus responds, Brother, Jesus feeding the 4,000 here involves compassion. As we think about compassion and what it means, a question, is compassion, excuse me, is compassion, compassion, if it doesn't act? Is compassion, compassion, if it doesn't act? Does compassion offer help or does it help? There's a difference. You can offer to help someone. That's different than helping them. I think you said to people already they're going through some difficulty and you say, well, if I can help you, let me know. Compassion doesn't say, if I can help you, let me know. Compassion acts. It just does it. It responds. Jesus had compassion. Is compassion selective? See, it's interesting that probably the crowd here was predominantly Gentiles. And remember the healing of the woman? And she said, but Jesus, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the table? Here Jesus is probably responding to exercising compassion towards the Gentiles. He's not being selective. Rather, he express, expresses compassion. A child falls and hurts, and you say, I have compassion for the child, and you say to the child, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I don't think that's compassion. Compassion just acts. Someone passes away and you say to the family, well, if there's anything I can do, just let me know. Compassion doesn't have to say that. Compassion acts. Jesus is acting in the context. What does he do? He told the crowd to sit in the ground. He took the seven loaves and gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. He had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left, about four thousand men were present. 
ties in with compassion. The text again says, when he had taken the seven loaves and gave thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. The disciples were the ones who distributed the bread. He also did the same with a few small fish, and the disciples again distributed them. Now remember, Jesus, back in Mark 3, selected 12 to be with him so that they might preach and they might cast out demons. They were with him. And I emphasize the with for a reason, because he didn't take them through a three-year Bible college or seminary training program. They were with him. He involves them in the ministry. He takes the bread, the loaves. And what does he do? He gave thanks, and he broke them. He took the fish, and he gave them to the disciples so that they might distribute. See, it's one thing to watch something take place. It's another thing to be involved in the action. And Jesus here involves them in the action. What's he doing? He's training them. Later on in the text, in verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? And wherever the discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? See, he fed the 4,000, he involved them in the action, and then later on, he continues to teach them in what I might call informal settings. Is instruction, content, and knowledge sufficient in training? Much of what we do in Christianity is in a formal setting. And we say they got the knowledge, they got the content. My response to that is, and please understand when I say this, is whoopee-doo. We've filled a head. If that head is filled and not translated into action, what has been accomplished? We have probably produced a greater Pharisee. I'm not knocking teaching. Where I'm coming from is instruction, content, knowledge is not sufficient in training. The disciples even saw what Jesus did. They were involved in what they did, or what he did, but they still didn't seem to get it. But he involved them. What is needed beyond instruction? Action. 
involvement. I grew up on a farm. I don't remember dad ever giving us a lecture on how to do certain things. He didn't set us down in the house and say, said, now, boys, or Bob, Ron, this is how you gather eggs. This is how you wash eggs. Now go out and do it. Never got a lecture. He said, come on, boys, it's time to gather eggs. What did he do? He gathered eggs. Okay, it's time to wash eggs. What did we do? We washed eggs. That's how we learned. When it came time to drive the tractors and do things in the field, Dad didn't say, okay, boys, here's how you drive a tractor. You get on the tractor and you turn the switch and then you hit the button and it starts up. And when you want to hook up the disc, you back the tractor up the disc and then on and on about how you hook up the uh, hydraulic systems and so on. Didn't do that. He said, come on, boys, it's time to learn how to disc. Took us out, hooked it up. So now you see how to do it? So the next time he'd say, now you do it, I watch. Third time, we could do it ourselves. It's kind of where Jesus comes from. Training, equipping them. What is the result of mere instruction? content and knowledge. And I'm not knocking instruction, content, and knowledge, but what is the result of only having that? We don't live it. See, Jesus spent three years training the twelve. Judas ends up <clears throat> betraying him. And the other eleven, when the Spirit of God came, had an effective ministry. Not because he spent three years, quote-unquote, in seminary, but they spent three years with Jesus. They observed Jesus in feeding the 4,000. They observed Jesus in healing the deaf and mute man earlier in the text. They observed Jesus in the woman coming to Jesus and then having the demon cast out of her daughter, even though... She was not present. My challenge to you is if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, you're a grandparent, don't stop with mere knowledge and instruction. Do things with people so that they see how to live and how to respond. That's what Jesus is doing. Don't be content if they can give you a list of things. Are they living them? Are they living it out in day-by-day day knowledge? We want young adults to ex understand the necessity of Christ and God being the creator, the importance of creation. And we can drill that home in a formal setting, maybe well and good, but how about taking them to the mall? and start to talk with people in the mall and get into a discussion with someone who will debate them and say, well, I don't believe in creation. There is no creator. And let them blow it. Let them do well. And then afterwards, say, let's just talk about how it went. That's much different than merely pouring knowledge 
in. We can say to men, here's what you need to do. In terms of how you train your children, how about taking that man and inviting them to observe how you teach and train your children or how you relate to your wife. Let them see it in action. Ruth Ann could probably teach classes on compassion. They wouldn't be very effective. Just follow her around. And compassion oozes out all over her, and you just learn it. I've learned a lot about compassion from hanging around with my wife, because she's much more compassionate than I am. She never gave me a lecture. But I learned early on, you know, that uh, it's probably good to give a hug in many circumstances. You know, you give a hug, you know, it's just proper. I was always kind of standish off, you know, just you don't need that. You know, don't be afraid to touch people. That's part of compassion. And when they cry, it's probably not good to say, oh, wise up, shape up, get on with life. You need to empathize with them. You know, you need to probably cry with them. And I'm not talking fake. I'm talking coming from the heart. But how do you learn that? By being with someone. Jesus fed the 4,000 because he was compassionate. He saw a need and he responded. He spent time with the 12. He involved them in the action and the process of teaching them how to minister. And keep in mind that he probably was teaching here, imparting things to the people who were listening with a challenge as to how to live. So this fellow student comes to you, and she shares that she is frustrated. Dad and mom have a fight, or fight much. Parents are considering a divorce. Been told several times she's overweight, but she really isn't. Her boyfriend is pushing to have sex with her, and if she doesn't, she might lose him. She's struggling in several classes due to other pressures. She can't concentrate. She's considering ending, ending her life. How might you respond? Looking for a response now. How might you respond? This is open to anyone. You don't have to be a student to respond. How might you respond? You know what I would do? I'd probably say, look, gal, we have a class next week at our church. Would you please come to that class? I think we can really help you. No, I don't think that's an appropriate response. What might be an appropriate response? Okay, listen. Anyone else? What else might be an appropriate response? Pray with her. Others? Share compassion by, by sharing you've been in some similar situations. Okay, if you've been in similar situations, share that. See, compassion will act whatever form it may take. She doesn't need instruction, probably at this point in time. Some form of concern. But not only at that moment in time, 
but ongoing. A neighbor has a wife who had been in a car accident. She's not hurt badly, but the car was totaled. Furnace breaks down a day later. Teenage son decides to leave home several days later. How might you respond? By the way, I'm only going to leave men respond to this for a second. If you were a man, how might you respond in that circumstance? By the way, I'm including teenage guys in manhood. How might you respond if you were a man? Send my wife. <clears throat> okay, you might go with your wife <clears throat> to visit the lady. Okay? Anyone else? How might you respond if you're a man? How about going over to fix the furnace with him? If it's fixable, to offer a couple hundred dollars to help. How about going over to cry with him about his son? Saying, what's it like? What's going on? Why'd your son leave? How about asking him about the car? Did you have insurance? Was it covered? Are you able to find another car? Is your wife really okay? How'd it feel to have your wife in an accident and so on? Practical things. Now, my next question is this. Has God made women more compassionate than men? Has God made women more compassionate than men? Pardon? No, they just tend to show it. Who's displaying the compassion here? Jesus. And I'm not debating whether men are more compassionate than women or women more compassionate than men. Compassion is critical. But our culture, to a large extent, has said men should not be compassionate. Or they can't be. Yet Jesus was. And he's teaching his 12 disciples to be compassionate. Let's pray together.